0: It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because
1: from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead.
2: Hey, this is Spencer Torkelson. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now.
3: Welcome to episode two of the Road to Detroit podcast. Hello, everybody. Glad to have you back. Dan Hasty. our producers, Nate Wangler. We knew, we knew, we knew it was a matter of time, especially when you make the high A look like a beer league softball team. Spencer Torkelson, the reigning high A central player of the week. All he did was hit 550. It kind of looked like playing a video game on rookie mode. It's hard. To come through in clutch situations. But I imagine that it's even harder to come through when the whole ballpark is expecting you to do just that. And that's what Spencer Torkelson did last week. It goes as a living reminder how important patience is. Like this fly ball to deep center field. Back goes Peralta. Looking up, it's over and gone. A torque tank! here Michigan 8 to 4 Whitecaps on a rocket to dead center field. You know, this is the road to Detroit podcast. So we talk about and we pay homage to the struggles of coming through the minor league system and no one is immune to that. And I think it seems like a distant memory now. But Spencer Torkelson was 1-for-12 in his first three games. He had struck out nine times, but his last three games are very different. 8-for-11, three doubles, a triple, a home run, and I think that goes to give Spencer Torkelson a bit of an appreciation for the improvements and the progression that he's made over the last couple of weeks. Spencer Torkelson and Dylan Dingler promoted to double-A Erie. We got a chance to catch up with Spencer before leaving West Michigan as he was promoted to the Erie Seawolves on Sunday after the ball game for West Michigan. He said that made for quite the Sunday.
2: Yeah, it was definitely, like, it was definitely a busy day. I mean, as soon as, like, I felt like Painter called us into his office, uh, he tried to act all serious, and, <laughs> and uh, like, me and Ding were in trouble, and me and Ding were trying not to smile. We like, come on. <laughs> you got us in here together. Yeah, and then... uh I don't know. and then after that I was kinda of just like, alright, pack up the apartment, tell my parents, you know, tell tell my family. And then uh I think packing up my apartment was the most stressful thing because I, I hate unpacking and packing, but it's definitely worth it. You know, I was definitely excited and um I'm gonna miss this place though. This this was a lot of fun. It was a great team to be around and uh great coaching staff too.
3: Best memories from West Michigan.
2: Uh I know probably, there weren't many, but Yeah, probably that, that uh you know, last week, you know, uh with my parents in town seeing seeing me uh pop off a little bit. It was it was kinda cool.
3: Yeah, that's what happens when you hit five fifty at the plate. Spencer Torkelson gets to go to double A. What is he looking forward to? Or maybe who is he looking forward to seeing up in Erie? Uh,
2: I'm looking forward to, you know, hanging out with Riley again and uh and, you know, Lip and I miss all those guys up there, but uh, you know, I'm obviously gonna miss the guys here, but you know, I'm looking forward, you know you know, onto, on to the next step, getting there. And, uh, you know, it's one step closer to, to my dream. So it's awesome. Give us the behind the scenes. What would that text message look like from Riley green yesterday? Uh, it was, it was some like, let's, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it, he, was, he was pumped up.
3: Well, it's awesome that you guys are all going to be together again. You Riley Dingler. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations to Spencer and to Dylan Dingler on their highly anticipated promotions. Up to double A Erie. Torkelson has five homers and 137 trips to the plate, a 440 on base percentage at the time of his promotion to double A. I don't think there's too many people surprised by the fact that Spencer Torkelson is now playing in double A Erie. And what a group now all of a sudden we see with the Erie Seawolves. You see number one prospect Spencer Torkelson, you see number two prospect Riley Green, who would be a landslide, number one, by many different organizational standards. And on top of that, you get Dylan Dingler, who's number four, and maybe he's working his way into becoming a top 100 prospect. We are going to continue banging the table for Dylan Dingler. And if you continue to do that and you continue to see the progression, he's going to have a big test in A. Had he stayed down in West Michigan, he might have still continued to just destroy high A central pitching. But... Now you get this core together, and now you get to see three of the top four prospects, all position players in the organization at the same stop. And I'm excited for Spencer Torkelson, for Riley Green, and for Dylan Dingler. I mean, that's an unbelievable trio to have on one team. So now all of a sudden, Erie has hit three musketeers, and we'll get a chance to watch them battle all summer long. And as for Dingler, it's interesting. In the month of May, Dylan started out the season very, very nicely. Had a very good first week or two and then dipped down a little bit. He finished the month of May hitting 240, but in the month of June, how about hitting 395 with a 447 on base percentage? You know, we've been talking a lot about Spencer Torkelson. Many people have been talking about Spencer Torkelson, but don't sleep on this guy. We're going to talk to Kylie McDaniel of ESPN. And we're going to see if Dylan Dingler might actually fit in to his top 100 prospects and the equation that goes in to figuring out who slides into that top 100. Also coming up on the show today, Daniel Cabrera joins us. He is now a top five prospect. Isaac Paredes graduated from the Tigers top 30 prospect list. So everybody got another bump up the list. And Daniel Cabrera can now call himself a top five prospect in an organization. The Tigers second second round pick from last year's draft, is off to a solid start in West Michigan. So we'll talk to Daniel Cabrera. We'll talk to Kylie McDaniel. Big week for Daniels here on the Road to Detroit podcast. Let's hit the on-ramp. Let's go to Low A. Lakeland, the Flying Tigers. Bit of a tough week. They dropped four of five games against Dunedin before the last game was canceled due to weather. But Gage Workman, who continues to impress, and I think we're going to hear a little bit about Gage Workman, from Kylie McDaniel coming up in just a little while. He finished the series against Dunedin 5-14 for 14 with a triple, and RBI, five runs scored, and he is stealing a ton of bases. I don't think anybody expected Gage Workman to have a team leading 17 stolen bases this early in the season. At this rate, we're talking about a 30 or 40 stolen base season for Gage Workman, and I don't think that was part of the skill set that I think the Tigers were banking on. So a little bit more than they thought of in that department, he's getting on base and he's using that speed to his advantage. On the mound, Joey Wentz. He continues to work his way back from Tommy John's surgery. He's been in Lakeland. Last time out, allowed five runs through four innings, but got through his start healthy, and I think that's the most important thing as it pertains to the Tigers' top ten prospect. Let's go to West Michigan. The Whitecaps dropped back-to-back games at home against the Lansing Lugnuts before rattling off three straight wins where they outscored Lansing 28-4. The final game of that six-game series, they lost by a score of 6-2. to And we've already kind of talked about the standouts from West Michigan this past week. But Spencer Torkelson was great, as was Dylan Dingler. Torkelson takes home the high-A central player of the week. But also, don't forget about this young man, Bo Brisky. He has already collected a High A Central Pitcher of the Week award, and he had the longest start of any West Michigan Whitecap this season. Six and two thirds, shut out innings while striking out seven lug nuts. He's got a nasty changeup. And for pitchers to get swings and misses on changeups in High A, that's pretty significant. That might be something to watch, and he might be someone that we need to keep our eye on this summer. Let's follow Spencer Torkelson and Dylan Dingler over to the Erie Seawolves. Double-A Erie, well, they won five out of six games against Somerset, and now they're collecting two of the Tigers' top five prospects. They might never lose a game again.
0: Lester does have a grand slam. It was in the Reading series to open the season, 2-1. Swung on, lifted, deep right field. Mitchell going back. This ball is off the base of the wall walk-off winners tonight for the Seawolves as Josh Lester delivers 4-3 your final here at UPMC Park. Most
3: years, Erie, who sits with a record 11 games over 500 at this stage in the season, that should be good enough for first place. But the Bowie Bay Sox, they're the Baltimore Orioles AA affiliate. They are 16 games over the 500 mark. They have been an absolute wrecking ball, so there's still a lot to be decided between Erie and the Bowie Bay Sox. As for the individual performances, our buddy Johnny Valenti, he recorded nine hits, three doubles, a triple, and a home run during the series against Somerset. This guy is such a good ball player. And we were talking about Dylan Dingler, somebody that we banged the table for. I'll tell you this, Johnny Valenti, He's got a major league skill set, and he has ever since we saw him a couple of years ago get into the Tigers' system. 351 batting average this season. He's starting to look like he's going to get a shot at some point this year, maybe even up in the big leagues. Kerry Carpenter, he put together a four-game hit streak, had a double, a homer, a pair of RBIs, a very solid season for Kerry Carpenter thus far. Paul Richin, who A.J. Hinch, the Tigers' manager, recently noted as someone he's been keeping his eye on amongst the minor leaguers. Eight and two-thirds innings, his last two starts. Only two runs, nine strikeouts. Outstanding command. Considered some of the best command in the entire Tigers farm system. Baseball America actually had him as the best command in the entire system. Meanwhile, Yaya Shentouf. You may want to remember this name. Yaya Shentouf is the proud owner of a mullet. (laughs) He's also the proud owner of a nearly triple-digit fastball. He was with West Michigan back in 2019 and was throwing around 90 miles per hour, maybe give or take a few. But this season, things look very different. And Yaya Shentouf is throwing harder than we have ever seen him throw. He has made people start noticing him, and we really need to start talking about Yaya Shentouf because of his prospect status and because of his mullet. Riley Green, bit of a slow week at the plate, but you know, ebbs and flows of the minor league season. It's not always going to be a 400 batting average or in some people's cases a 550 batting average. So, we'll check back with Riley as we go into next week. Off the to AAA a Toledo. The Mud stole 5 of 6 at home against the Louisville Bats and Angel De Jesus. Out of the bullpen has done a great job this year. Seen a couple of articles talking about how maybe he might be next in line for a promotion up the road to Detroit, literally to Detroit. Five innings of work in the month of June. He's allowed no runs, struck out seven and walked one. Overall in this season, he has gone unscored upon. So at this moment, Angel Jesus is putting together an outstanding season for the Mudhens. Jake Robson is back. He was playing for Team Canada in the Olympic qualifier. Eight hits upon his return, two doubles, a homer, five RBIs, all over his last four ball games with the Mudhens, big time. Meanwhile, Matt Manning, one of his best starts of the year so far, back on June the 9th, six innings, two runs, a season-high eight strikeouts. And now he's been assigned to the Tigers' taxi squad. He's scheduled to start and make his major league debut coming up Thursday night against the Angels and Shohei Otani. So again, we mentioned this back on episode one, just waiting to see how Matt Manning was going to respond. And so far, He did respond with at least his best outing of the season. There's going to need to be more where that came from, but at least we're on the right track. That's a look at the on-ramp. Welcome back. The Road to Detroit podcast rolls on. Daniel Cabrera, the Detroit Tigers' number five prospect. Must be nice to be somebody's top five prospect. Daniel, how are you?
4: I'm good. How are you?
3: It must be pretty awesome to say you're a top five prospect in an organization. Now, off the top, we opened today's show with it. Spencer Torkelson and Dylan Dingler, they get promoted to Erie. And for now, and I'm really stressing for now, you stay in West Michigan. I, I don't think it would have surprised us had you gotten moved up. But were you told anything after the ball game on Sunday? How do you process that? Because you've had a really good start, too
4: i wasn't told anything but i just want to say congrats to those guys they deserve everything that they've gotten they're the best dudes on and off the field for me personally i'm just going to keep working and keep getting better and doing what i got to do um i'm not salty i'm not mad or anything like that everything happens for a reason i tell myself control the controllables but i'm I'm just really happy for those guys because those are some of my close buddies i hang out with them off the field a bunch we we live in the same apartment place, so we, we hang out and watch basketball games after each baseball game. So I'm just super pumped for them and excited for their future.
3: This can be a hard game. You started this season three for 32, but Spencer Torkelson got off to a slow start. Dylan Dingler started well, then kind of came back down to earth, and then they both went crazy. You started to get on fire as well. What was going through your mind after the first two weeks this season?
4: it's it's baseball if if you look at the stats it doesn't kind of tell the whole story um we had a lot of hard outs a lot of line outs a lot of hard ground balls a lot of long pop ups that whenever it gets warmer those are home runs and uh, people that don't watch the games probably don't don't know the whole story um you can just bad mouth torque thing myself whatever on on social media but if you don't watch the games you don't know the whole story it's it's our first Pro uh, season, and um, it's not going to be smooth sailing the whole time. You got to go through a little bumps in the road to uh, to get going and everything like that. But so far, it's it's been awesome. It's been humbling, humbling. Uh, and Pena and all the coaches they've they've been awesome throughout this experience for sure.
3: I mean, how much does it mean to you to have gone through that struggle? Because now you've come out the other end of it, right? I mean, now you're hitting closer to 300. So I know that has to give you an appreciation for what you've had to deal with the last few weeks.
4: Yeah, I always – I rather – honestly, I rather start off slower than start off on fire because there's only one way to go, and that's down if you start red hot. Honestly, I'm fine with it because I started my college career my freshman year. I was 0 for 11. I didn't get a hit the first weekend, and I was supposed to be this big-time freshman coming in, batting four-hole, didn't get a single hit. I was 0 for 11, and then the first, the next, the midweek coming up, I batted a a leadoff and I got two hits, and it just, once you get that first one out the way, it just relaxes you and you go from there. It's just, starting off slow is no big deal. It's uh, something you're going to have to do sooner or later. Did you
3: find yourself making more physical or mental adjustments?
4: It's all mental. Whenever you find yourself struggling, you try to, you tend to start trying to do too much, and that's when you should try to start doing less. I always tell myself less is more with me. Like when when it comes to hitting, I want to be as simple as I can. Hitting don't need a big leg kick. Don't need to try to hit home runs. Just just stay within myself, and that's when I play my best. And if you talk to a bunch of the guys, I'm sure they would probably say the same thing. Less is more. Um, when you just kind of controlling the controllables, just staying within yourself, you're you're at your best.
3: A very wise man once said, when you try to do too much, you end up not doing too much. We're yeah. talking to, <laughs> to Daniel Cabrera. <laughs> All right, let's step back for a minute. It wasn't that long ago that you were getting your name called on day two of a really short draft, just five rounds does it blow your mind to see yourself getting talked about on places like MLB Network?
4: Yeah, it's crazy to think. Just knowing that a few years ago, I was I was hoping this these days would happen, and now that they're happening, it's kind of surreal. It's awesome, but I keep just telling myself you got to keep moving forward. This isn't the, the final goal. The final goal is to you know win World Series and be in. Honestly, my ultimate goal is to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't want to just make it to the show. I want to, I want to be one of the best to ever play, and I don't want to just be an average Joe. So just got to keep pushing every day and take it day by day.
3: Have you ever been to the Hall of Fame?
4: I Actually, I have. I went to Cooperstown when I was younger twice. I went when I was 11 and 12 and played in Cooperstown in that tournament, and it was, it was awesome. You
3: got to play there. What do you remember about that?
4: Just staying – you stay in the dorms with your team. You, you get to meet teams from all over the country – you wear – there's only two uniforms you wear. There's over 100, 100 teams in the tournament, and it's it's awesome. It's, it's a really fun time. It's one of the – probably the funnest tournaments I've ever played at when I was younger.
3: We're talking with Daniel Cabrera. So about getting your name called on day two, take me through what led up to that.
4: I wanted to be with my family and my friends throughout the process, kind of enjoy it. It was very stressful, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I kind of thought I was going to go a little bit earlier than that, but I t- everything happens for a reason. But once I once I heard my name get called and by Detroit, I was a uh, thousand pounds were lifted off my shoulders, and I was excited to get going. How
3: much Detroit did you have on the back of your mind, knowing that they had that pick coming up at the back end of
4: round two? Whenever I was, I knew I was still available. Then I had a, I felt like it was. It might have happened, but I wasn't sure because it was just a crazy day how everything was going on. But whenever they said Danny Cooper, Cabr- whenever they said Danny, I was like, "Oh no, another person that went by, that wasn't me." But then they said Cooper, Cabr- I was like, "Damn, that's me." They said my name wrong, but it's still me. I'm excited to get going. It was fun.
3: Who's <laughs> this Danny of the Tigers just picked?
4: Yeah, it was. It kind of caught us. It threw. They threw a curveball at us, but everybody once uh, they said the last name, we were we were excited.
3: We're talking with Daniel, Daniel Cabrera. <laughs> so, wh- I mean, you had an idea, you know, your coach at LSU, Paul Maneri, very, very close with the Tigers. And I want to get into that. But one of the things that Spencer Torkelson told us was that, you know, being the number one overall pick, you know, there have probably been many years where the number one overall pick It has a kind of open back and forth with the team. He kind of knows he's going to be the number one pick. But Spencer said there's nothing like that this time around. He didn't get a phone call about it. I'm sure he had some conversations, but they never straight up said, we're picking you. How did the communication go once you did get picked? Was there anything beforehand or was it after you got
4: picked? It was all after. I had no clue um, beforehand uh, who was going to pick me or what was going on. It was kind of just you find out on the TV. And that kind of made it a little bit more nerve wracking. You didn't kind of, you didn't know who was going to pick you. I feel like football, you get the call before the pick comes in. Baseball, you find out on TV. So it was, it was fun. It was, it was interesting.
3: How do you compare SEC pitching to high A pitching in minor league baseball?
4: I would say every Friday, Saturday night starter is like a high pitcher. But the difference is in high A, Every single arm that they throw is is legit. In college and SEC, like you'll be you could be winning or losing by a line, and they'll start throwing the younger guys that aren't as good as the the main guys. So it's like you don't get any any freebies. I, I guess you can say in high a. and in the minor leagues, everybody you face is 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 a, is a dude. And in college, you'll every once in a while you get a a little bit easier at bat.
3: You've been figuring out high A pitching, and that's not easy because many of these guys, yourself included, you didn't get to play rookie level. You didn't get to play low A. You just went right to high A. What was your reaction when you found out that that was where you were headed and you were going to skip through all these different grade levels in the system?
4: Oh, I was excited. I I took it on as a a challenge. I didn't think I would be overwhelmed by it at any means, and I was just excited to get going. And whenever I knew I was going to high A, I felt like, team the organization trusts me enough to be able to handle the situation and I was I was ready to go you,
3: you kind of have an, an identity as, as a college player you know you have the camaraderie you know the LSU guys you, you could tell and just watching some of your highlights that they thought a lot of you they have to think a lot of you for you to get number eight but to, to then go to the pros Tell me about what it's like now, because, like you said, you're playing with every college team's best player. So, what's is the dynamic different here as opposed to maybe where it was in LSU?
4: Honestly, here in LSU, it's not much different. It's a big family, both both places. I didn't realize how how awesome this place would be until I started playing here with how uh, positive. Uh, all the coaches are how close all the players are, how much we want each other to succeed. Everybody's not as selfish as like I th- I've heard in the past from other players, not about this organization, just about in pro ball in general. And uh, it's a it's a, honestly it's a big family here. When one person succeeds, everybody's happy. It's not like somebody's uh, salty and bitter about that. Everybody's pulling on the same rope, and it's it's been a pleasure so far for sure.
3: I wanted to ask you about this. You made a comment to a television station a couple of days ago saying that you would rather go 0 for 4, hitting the ball really hard four times, rather than go 4 for 4 with a bunch of bloop singles. Tell me what brought that comment on, because that's something you have to think about before you say something like that.
4: Yeah, it's just, it's if you're hitting the ball on, on the screws every single time, that means you're seeing the ball really well, your confidence is really high. The numbers might not show, but you feel better about that than you do about a few dinky donk hits. Cause those don't happen all the time. But if when you barrel the ball, it, it gets in the pitcher's head as well. It's he might be getting that out, but he knows, damn, this dude's all over my stuff. So I I, I personally rather hit on the screws right at somebody than get a few dinky hits. Cause at the end of the day. Going into tomorrow, you're going to have that confidence that you're seeing the ball really well.
3: Everybody has kind of a point of pride as opposed to, you know, just maybe at some point over the course of a season, you have a few moments where you're like, man, everything came together on this play or on this swing. So far for you, if you could point to a specific moment, a specific at-bat, a specific play defensively, is there anything that stands out to you where you said, yep, I I figured something out that day?
4: Um... I'd probably say my second-to-last at-bat at home on the last day versus – The of Great Lakes Lunes. Yeah, I was facing that lefty. I had 0-2, and I was struggling that whole week. And I think I had two strikeouts on a day, and I flew out to the track to left field.
3: Quickly it's 0 two. The next toss swinging a fly ball hits to left. Back goes the left fielder ward. He is there. He makes the grab for out number three. Cabrera is out, and so are the white caps here in the fifth. They-
4: and just some it just felt that felt so good. Like I knew I, I know it's an out. My batting average is like under 100, Tough times struggling. Um but it just clicked right there. Okay, I got this in my next set about I hit the triple to left field.
3: Next pitch to Cabrera is lying down the left field line. This has a chance, and this one's off the wall. Opposite field, power for Cabrera. He takes the turn at second. He's headed to third, the slide. He's in safely with a one-out triple.
4: Then went to the Timber Rollers, did well, came home, did well against Indians, and it kind of just took off from there. I think just that at bat, just I calmed myself down. I my. The previous at bats, I was stressing, trying to do too much, and uh, I just told myself, "You're good. You're seeing it well. Just stay within yourself." And I, if the, if it wasn't cold, might have went over, but flew out. Then the next at bat, hit a triple, and it just kind of clicked from there. I feel like
3: a lot of people said when the Tigers picked you, they said strong in all areas. There's not a hole in his game. Do you think you have a hole in your game? I mean, it, a lot of people like to assess Daniel Cabrera, but I want to hear you do that.
4: Uh, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I don't. I don't think I have many holes in my, in my game. I'm very confident. I don't have to talk about it. I can just show it when I'm playing. But I, I pride myself on working on all aspects of my game. If that's being in the weight room, getting stronger – uh, working on my defense, working on my hitting, working on my speed, anything like that. I want to be a complete player. I don't want to just be a one-dimensional player. I can't ask
3: this to all players because not all players are as well-rounded as you. What is your favorite thing to do on a baseball field? I mean, hitting a home run, a lot of guys love doing that. Is that for you, or is there some other facet that you take just as much pride in?
4: Um, I like hitting the opposite field home run. That's my favorite thing to do because everybody can pull a home run, pull side. But if you can go the other way, that shows that you're a true hitter, I think. If you can go if you can hit to all fields, it's hard to pitch to that type of hitter. My favorite player ever is Jim Edmonds. I loved how he can hit the ball out the other way, how he can hit it out to dead center to pull side, and he was a good defender, can run, could throw, could do it all. Um, and he wasn't 6'5", he was 6 foot. and could just he played the game really really hard and people respected him and That's what I want to do.
3: I'm guessing you hit a couple of opposite field home runs during your time at LSU and your head coach, Paul Maneri. We wanted to get to this real quick, but Tigers general manager Al Avila knows him extremely well, maybe better than any other college coach in the game today. What did Al or what did Paul tell you about the other
4: one? After I got picked up by the Tigers, Coach Maneri uh, called me up that night and he said, That him and Al had a good relationship and that he, I think he said um, he gave Al his first job, something like that in college, and that they've been really close throughout the years. And you look at the track record with uh, the picks, they got a lot of players from LSU, so they obviously must have a good relationship. And um, I'm excited when Coach talks about somebody like that, he means it, so I was excited. Since there
3: have been so many LSU players drafted, make a pitch. Is there anybody we should be keeping an eye on this draft? Because the draft is a month away, and nobody knows LSU baseball like you do.
4: Yeah, I would say this is my best friend, so I'm a little biased. But Gavin Dugas, outfielder from LSU this year, he uh, he didn't play his first two years as much as I think he wanted to, but this year he was the leader on the team. I would say as as a as a hitting. As a position player, he played left field. I think he hit like 20 home runs, which is awesome. And he batted like 295, I want to say. But he, uh the best dude on and off the field, hardest worker. And I hope uh, somebody gives him a shot to play pro ball because I think he'll, he'll turn some eyes for sure.
3: If history is any indication, I think there's a real shot. Well, Daniel, again, it's so enjoyable watching how you started now to where you are now and just to continue to watch such a player that can help you win in so many different ways. So congratulations on the good start. Congrats on now being a top five prospect for the Detroit Tigers. And thanks so much for joining us here on the road to Detroit. I
4: appreciate it. Thank you for having
3: me. Another week of best in class of all the players in the Tigers minor league system. In this past week, this one made the most noise. The 1-2 to Spencer Torkelson, on the way. Swing, line drive, left center field, base hit, and this one will split the gap. Around third is Cruz, he scores, Cabrera right behind him. Two more for the Whitecaps here in the sixth. It's a two-run double for Spencer Torkelson. Yeah, I guess when you hit 550 at the plate, maybe you deserve a best-in-class award. Spencer Torkelson, hopefully it's the first of many. He absolutely dominated the landscape for the West Michigan Whitecaps of high A this past week. Spencer Torkelson went 11 for 20 this past week. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this on Episode 1. It was a little bit of a slow start to the season for Spencer Torkelson in the month of May Torkelson hit 235. Well, here comes the month of June, 439 at the plate, an on base percentage of 537. Well, you could shave another 100 points off of both of those numbers, and I think we would all be thrilled about what Spencer Torkelson had been doing in West Michigan. But he ended up turning it into Little League World Series style numbers, and Spencer Torkelson earned a promotion because of it. So it's been a big week for Spencer. Not only does he get a promotion to double A, but he wins the best in class. Which one do you think he's more excited about? Nate Wangler's got a look at our honorable mention award, or as we like to call it around here, the Dylan Rosa Award winner. Last night, I dreamed that the number two
0: was the most valued number in the world. <laughs> The vice president had all the power. Athletes fought for silver medals. And stadiums of fans shouted, we're number two. Early impressions of Shentouf. That's a really good fastball with some great location. He has a good understanding of the top half of the zone already and has picked up a couple of good called strikes with it. 0-2 count. Shentouf stretches and deals. Swing and a miss. One down. Yaya yeah, Shentu, nicknamed after the Sandlot character. Yeah, yeah, McLennan. That was actually given to him by one of his former coaches because he said he resembled the character from the Sandlot. But yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty good. Four and one through eighteen and two thirds, allowing only one earned run while striking out twenty and posting a zero four eight ERA Ooh-wee. in twenty twenty one. Yeah, right, Jacob Degrom. Who? But the biggest improvement from twenty nineteen <laughs> to twenty twenty one. with that. From 2019 to 2021, it's the fastball, as you mentioned earlier. Low 90s in 2019. He's up to about 98 miles an hour, somewhat consistently on the mound. And he's really a prototypical reliever. He throws flames, induces weak contact. He's not afraid to go after guys and attack the zone in only six walks so far this year. I think Yaya will be very valuable if he continues to trend in that direction Here for the Tigers. Which way does his mullet need to trend? I mean, he's kind of going in the full Kenny Powers look right now. (laughs) He's got the full look going on. Both him and I think Sam Kessler also has one. Both of those guys, whatever way he wants to put it, I don't care. As long as he keeps throwing flames, I'm okay with it. Here's the rule. You can wear your hair however you want. You can wear your facial hair however you want. Just get batters out. Just throw strikes. (laughs) But Yaya Shentouf is our Dylan Rosa Award winner here for Episode 2. Welcome back. The Road to Detroit podcast
3: continues. Nobody understands prospect development quite like our guy, Kylie McDaniel, who made his name working at Fangraphs and is now over at ESPN and doing remarkable things. Kylie, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, with a lot of prospects in the system, I mean, I feel like we're going to be talking to you a lot. So thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, it's an exciting time as you, uh, you know, sort of get in the in the depths of the rebuild and then you start seeing the signs of coming out and the prospects showing up and starting to have that accumulation. I think for the the fans of the process, you start seeing results. It's a lot more fun than the part where it's like we're going to trade all of our big leaguers and we got nobody. (laughs) That's the worst part of it.
3: Yeah, I think you understand this because you have this background. But I mean, what role does patience play in waiting for these guys to develop. I mean, they call it player development for a reason.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's tricky. My, I guess my experience is uh, typically in the level below the big league levels, whether it's you know, scouting the minor leagues or the draft or international. And so it's really easy to get excited when you focus on that area with any team because you could just you know, trade for a guy. He ends up being better than you think. And it's like, hey, you know, arrow up. Like We haven't done a lot of acquiring of prospects for this you know, six-month period. And when we did, it got better. Um, or, you know, sign a guy internationally, it's not uncommon for any team to just sign a guy for 50 grand. And then immediately he is as good as a guy as you signed for 500 grand. And like that level of appreciation, um, isn't that unusual. And so you can see, a, you know, one or two of those things floating through a system. Uh, and then the big league team is, you know, in last place. And it's like, it's hard to look at that on the big league level and be like, I'm excited about that $50,000 sign we got in Dominican. That's like six years away if everything goes perfectly. Um, so you have to kind of be able to compartmentalize it. But yeah, if you're focused on that below the big league level stuff, you can always find something to be excited about, even if you're just doing an okay job. And at the big league level, it's like your your record's pretty much all you got. Like, <laughs> Like if you've got a bunch of good young pieces and they're just not performing well, that's almost worse because it's like, well, these guys need to be good for us to be good one day. It's just sort of like the optimism is, is, is uh, renewing every day on the minor league and amateur into things. And on the big league side, there's almost always a reason to be depressed. So, <laughs> so you kind of have to like, pick your spots of like, where to focus, and I think you'll, uh, you'll find some hope wherever you look.
3: Generally speaking, what's your feeling on the Tigers' system as it compares to the rest of Major League Baseball?
1: Because they're in that part of the rebuild where the players are in the upper levels and they're getting to the big leagues and you're seeing some return, but they're also still picking at the top of the draft. Uh, they're not sort of impacted on the, on the minor or the uh, international signing into things. They're at that almost at the peak of where you would be. I guess now that like Mize and school and some of these guys are losing their prospect eligibility. You now need to be bringing guys in as quickly as you're sort of graduating them to stay at the level you're at. But I'm looking at my preseason stuff, had him at third, uh, which I think is fair. I think uh, pretty much everybody sees the raise as like far and away the best uh, with both the top end, the replenishing the depth, the sort of process, like all those sorts of things. Uh, and then behind them is just sort of like, you know, what's your you know flavor of the week and what's your sort of preference? Do you, would you rather have like hitters in the top 100 or depth just beyond it or, you know, whatever, like whatever system you use could be a little differently. But I, I would say there's sort of a consensus top five. Maybe some people have a more six to 10. But right in that area, I think uh, anywhere from two to 10, I think, is very defensible. And like I was saying, at this point, as the guys start, you know, those those top tier guys from a couple years ago in the draft start coming off the list, then we'll kind of see how good the Um, talent acquisition and development is because that'll be the tricky part when you start losing guys at the top of the top 100 that like like one of those guys will move you down a couple spots and a couple of them might move you down eight or ten spots so then then the test is how quickly you can get other ones we
3: know that the Tigers they they obviously had these five big prospects, and Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal were were two of those players. They're no longer eligible for those prospect lists. But based on what you've seen from them at the major league level, are, are they fulfilling kind of what you expected from them?
1: Yeah, I think the, the expectation that you see in the, I don't want to say like media broadly, but the people that follow the media, so we'll say, people super into fantasy baseball or the really diehard fans or the guys trying to buy the rookie cards or whatever, the expectation has now been set that when a guy is like in the top half of the top 100, sometimes those guys come up and do a Fernando Tatis or Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna um, or, you know, know, I guess there's not that many pitchers that fit that description, but there's, you know, a lot of players where there's the hype, there's the hype, and then they immediately come up and are, you know, rookie of the year or whatever it is. Um, but that's obviously not that's the exception. Uh, I think busting out is probably the most common thing to just not really work out at all. Being a super duper star is probably like the least likely thing. And then there's that like big middle that's like 85% of the guys. Uh, they end up being, you know, pretty good, kind of slow, somewhat linear growth. Uh, and I think that's probably where Scoogle and Mizar that you saw some flashes last year, you seen them be like a little bit better uh, this year, and it's still not a, you know, fantastic team. Uh, and you know they still don't need to be those like Cy Young level guys. There's not like the you know the playoff push and all that sort of stuff uh, as like a pressing concern. But you want to see them continue to get better so that when that switch is flipped, they're ready to be those impact contributors. And I think they're probably still on track for that. Um, I, I would imagine again if we're going to say like where are they in the top 100 um, if still eligible if updated today, they're they're both in roughly the same place. So I, I would say they're doing fine which is, I think, all things considered, kind of on the happy end of things. Because there's a lot of guys that, you know, blow out, the velo disappears. Like, there's all kinds of bad, and they've been fine. And there's not that many versions of, oh my gosh, this is great.
3: (laughs) It's no secret that the Tigers rebuild started with pitching. The first rounders, Matt Manning, Alex Fiedo, Casey Mize. And a lot of people were saying, we've got what we need on that side. Maybe now it's time for some position players. Then not too far after that, it went Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson. The Tigers went heavy into position players in the first five rounds, each year's worth of drafts 2019 and 2020. Are they getting to where you think they need to be in terms of balance?
1: Uh, They're getting there. I think the the sort of concern right now is – who are your sort of top 100 potential core? I mean, you don't have to be a top 100 prospect to be a core part of the big league team, although that's usually where they come from. Um, how many of them are going to come from outside of the top 10 picks or, you know, the very top of the international class? Like, obviously, Scooble was, you know, I think he was ninth round. Like, he was obviously like a nice sort of nice value. Um, but then you look at the top of that list and Torkelson, Manning, Green, um, you know, those guys, you throw Dingler in there now, uh, but those guys are all sort of like top 50 overall picks. You need to find some guys uh, beyond those, you know, those first round top 10 overall picks. Dingler is like a good, you know, good move in that direction to get more guys. Um, and you're obviously not going to home grow your entire like one through nine um, lineup when you're a playoff team. But I think ideally you're going to have four to six of those guys and to have four or six, you need to have, like, 15 candidates, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, going back to, like, how's the balance? It's like, well, you technically don't have enough pitchers or hitters. So, um, and, and I would also say, going back to, you know, some of the stuff I've done with teams and some of this is in the public sphere as well, these sort of demographics in terms of hitter-pitcher, high school-college, the one everybody wants is college-hitter. Because you have, like, the, the real upside. You have the sort of safety of, like, a high hit rate. And they'll get there quickly. High school hitter, you typically have, you know, a little more upside, wait a little bit longer um, but that's all assuming that all four demographics have like a comparable player. Like taking the best player is still the best strategy. Um, and so I, I think it's not like unbalanced enough to really affect what you would take in the draft. So yeah, I would say the balance isn't there just because there's not enough of either if like we're really trying to say this is the team that's not gonna have a top five payroll. Is there a playoff team of guys in the system? Like probably not. So like just go get some more guys and uh, hope you don't have to go, add a bunch of nine figure free agents on top of this and they could be, you know, one or two more drafts away from that all being in the system. And then it's just a matter of it taking care of itself. We're like, you know, that Cubs team where it was like, at one point it was like some of them are in the big leagues. And then you look at the top of the minors and then a couple guys lower in the minors. It's like, Oh, the answer is there. Let's just like, wait for it to play out. I don't think the Tigers are quite there yet, but they're like, they're on the road, if you will.
3: (laughs) As are we, apparently (laughs) as we continue along. So talking about Spencer Torkelson, He's your number four prospect to start this season. As we said, he's currently sitting at number four for you. Is he justifying that ranking? What's your take on his season?
1: Yeah, I think the broad expectations with him, obviously, I guess him and Andrew Vaughn get lumped together a lot as Pac-12, top of the draft, sort of right-right first baseman. And the sort of issue with that is, A, it's not SEC, so you don't have quite the same level of competition, Um, quite the same level of certainty, but they were both team USA guys that have been seen over the summer a lot, which is actually higher than the SEC. So good enough. But the right, right first baseman puts you a bit into a box with, there's pretty much no margin for error. If this guy doesn't hit in a ball as a 22 year old, it's like, Oh boy. And it seems like Vaughn and Torkelson both didn't have trouble kind of getting to double A quickly. So I don't think that's really the hurdle either. I think that's sort of expected that that'll happen. And then once you get to double A, we've seen with Vaughn this year in the big leagues, it's like somewhere between double A and the big leagues is where those hiccups are going to happen. So I would say he's met expectations so far, hasn't wildly outproduced them. And I think now at double A, we'll sort of find out uh, how much uh, these sort of a stock market term, how much resistance you're going to find, how many struggles there's going to be, how long the adjustments will take, or if he just keeps sailing through. Uh, that'll make you feel a lot better. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think you're at a point where if he has a slow first two weeks. You, you know, re- no reason to hesitate there. And also all the pandemic stuff and time off and all sorts of things are affecting this as well. So even if he just like bombs out a double A, I'd be like, and eh, it doesn't really change it that much. You know, next year will really tell us where we are. So I think it's all kind of gravy at this point.
3: You talked about one of the biggest reasons that you can move guys into that top 100 is because the guys at the top tend to graduate. And somebody that I know that you've been keeping your eye on is Riley Green. And you had him at the beginning of the season at number 25. I know some publications have moved him up a little bit. What is your take on his season? I know you were talking about stocks a little while ago. Is his Where's his stock in, in your value chart?
1: Yeah, I told you before we started recording, he was the guy when uh, any of my friends that have been getting into uh, baseball cards are like, who should I get? Like, who's going to be worth, who's definitely going to be worth a lot more or a top prospect at the end of the season that's not now? And I was like, well, I feel weird giving like inside tips. So I made sure after I wrote everything, I was like, oh, if you read what I wrote, it was the guy that's not in the top 25, or I guess I think he's 25th. So not in the top 20 who will be in the top 10 is Riley Green. He's artificially depressed a little bit because he was in that draft class where he just had a summer and then that was it. So there's not enough like regular season minor league performance to move him up a lot. But both spring trainings, he was fantastic, which is I think a little more of an important level because it's like much bigger competition. Maybe you don't move a guy down if he's bad because it's a little unfair. But if he's fantastic, you'll move him up. And so I feel like his two spring trainings are, I guess, two and a half depending on how you look at 2020 – Uh, moved him up and then we've seen the spring that's been sort of verified uh, that he's a guy that will I think move up relative to some guys Uh, a bunch of guys will uh, graduate in front of him and I don't think there's any guys in this draft or July 2 class that will move ahead of him so just naturally he's just going to move up five or eight spots if he just sort of holds serve and I think he was a little underrated just because um, of the lack of sort of regular season numbers that anybody could look at and be like oh he's been really good um, so I think he was like my number one, this guy's going to move up even if he doesn't improve. And I think he's improving for reasons. Like when we saw him hit that ball, I think it was one sixteen in spring training. And I was like, he didn't have that in high school and I was pretty sold on him in high school. So like the, the skill set is sort of progressing on top of all this, all these other elements. So yeah, if we're talking stocks, which I guess more reasonably is, is uh, Bowman Chrome rookie cards, as I've been told, um, th- those I would imagine have already moved Northward, um, since spring training, cause they probably should have.
3: Are there any other Tigers prospects making a case that maybe that have stood out to be on your top 100 list?
1: Yeah, I think Dingler's in that conversation now. Uh, He was a guy that I had on, I would say, probably somewhere like 150 to 200 around draft time. Uh, I think there were some uh, concerns about uh, medical stuff as part of the reason he got to the Tigers' second pick. And it's one of those things you hear with pitchers a lot where it's like, he's not hurt. He He hasn't had any serious injuries, but we're just looking at stuff and we're wondering if that will bode poorly going into the future. Um, and he's also a catcher, which is obviously like a little more of an injury concern going forward anyway. And so we'll have to keep an eye on that, but obviously every day he doesn't get hurt. That makes it less of a concern um, with the same way that it would happen with pitchers. And he's performed really, I think even better than I would have expected that he's at the same sort of level, same age as Torkelson. And the concern on Dingler was short track record, both defensively behind the plate and, at the, and hitting at the plate and there was a little bit of swing and miss, but the tools were there. So it was a little bit of, you know, we'll see, but I think everything's there. It might take a little bit longer than the average 21-year-old because, you know, power guys take longer, college guys take longer, smaller um, conference guys take longer, later developing guys obviously already take longer. So he had a lot of check marks of, all right, this guy might be 24 in A, but don't worry about it. And now he's, I guess, 22 in A and just crushed high A. So I think he's answered enough questions that going from that 150 to 200 area, I think he's. I haven't like relined up everybody, but he would certainly be in the conversation uh, to be there. Uh, and I wouldn't wouldn't blame anybody if they said he was on there now, even though it's been a pretty short track record. Because the stuff he has done well with is the stuff that you thought he might struggle with. Uh, and then beyond him, some of the other guys that have moved or have been sort of beating expectations, I think, are sort of much lower down the list. Maybe some of the recent draft guys, uh, Gage Workman, uh, has been a little better than I thought he would be. He was another guy where the concern was sort of the offensive production and he's produced the tools were already there um so that's another guy that i think is uh impressed in a way yeah and i'd say those, those are probably the big movers um where where something actually has happened the rest of them i think are more sort of shading up shading down maybe haven't you know moved a wild amount so do you have any plans to do any updates on that top 100 how often do you like to do those Yeah, I think we'll do uh, like post-All-Star game, which now is draft and futures game all at once. That's sort of the natural sort of pre-trade deadline time. I guess now it used to be like around those events, and now all those events are within two weeks of each other at the same time. Um, So I think we'll probably do a top 50 is typically what we've done. Obviously, it's only my second year doing it, and they just moved the draft again. Um, So yeah, I would imagine it'll be a top 50. I would imagine Dingler won't be on there. Um, But there will probably also be, knowing me, when they say, hey, do a... Top 50 or whatever, I'll be like, how about I do 50, but then mention 25 other names that are like, you know, moving up but not on here yet? That's typically how I approach things. Cause because if I'm gonna feel really good about a fifty, I gotta feel good about a hundred to know the fifty's good. And if I got a hundred, it's like, well, 30 of these extra 50 guys were kind of there already. I don't need to note that, but maybe there's 20 new guys. And so yeah, that that may end up being Dingler. So to answer the question you didn't quite ask, he might appear in that article. <laughs> I'm glad you said it.
3: I didn't want to put words in your mouth. So we're talking to Kylie McDaniel. There's an extra month here before draft day. We usually have it about this time this year. It's going to be a little bit later. I mean, how much can change at the top of the draft board? Because Detroit obviously sits at number three overall, and there are a couple of guys that they like. It sounds like they're going to get a, you know, they're going to come away with somebody that they like. But I mean, what can really change between now and then?
1: So this draft is really tricky. Uh, I shot some videos with the, I guess the the Tigers' video people, and when I did it last year, I think it was. It was like, oh, there's like, you know, two or three guys. Like, I'll give you a couple minutes on each guy, and I'm sure I'll have all your need. And this year was like, I mean, realistically, for saying anybody with more than a five percent chance of getting picked, let's mention them. It's like, it's like seven guys. It's obviously a third is sort of wild that there's seven guys in contention, but when you have a hard cap draft and cutting a guy under slot has benefits as opposed to just you have a pool of money that the owner gives you and nobody knows what that amount is. Just take the best guy is typically the approach. And now with this approach, it's different. Uh, the sort of belief is that the Tigers' top two guys are Marcelo Meyer, a high school shortstop out of San Diego, and Jack Leiter, Leiter's son, pitcher at Vanderbilt. I would guess it's Meyer and then Leiter 1-2, but I'm not as sure about that. And then they're picking third, and so in the event that those two guys go in the first two picks, who does Detroit take? And that's when the question is, well, it could be any one of five or six guys, depending on what everybody's price is, and what everybody's price is depends on where everyone else is going to go because you could run into one of those Carlos Correa situations where it was either he signs for a big discount at one or he goes, I think, seventh was the next place he could actually had a chance of going, which nobody actually realized that till the week of the draft whenever we kind of made their decisions and sort of informed everybody, like, you're the primary option, you're the backup option, and they sort of figured out what their actual market value was in that draft setup. Um, And so it sounds like at one, I would guess it is dependent on price with uh, Meyer and Jordan Lawler, high school shortstop out of Dallas. And then at two, I don't think they've decided yet, Texas. And then Detroit is sort of waiting for how one and two go to see if they have to go to that all hands on deck, let's get everybody's price, sort through these five or six guys, or they get to pick which one of those two guys is there, or both of those guys could be there, although I don't think they will. So i to say, they're going to add a top 100 prospect. Uh, they might even add a fringe top 100 prospect with their second pick, especially if it's in concert with the first one. Uh, but I don't have any decent idea who it's going to be. I would say Leiter and Meyer are the two most likely, because those are the guys I know they like. But I don't really know who's third.
3: Between Meyer and Leiter and, and who knows who else it could be, I know there's been some other names mentioned. Where do those guys ideally slot in for you if you're thinking kind of an idea as to where they would look in your top 100?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's anybody in this class that would go and say the top 30. I get the impression that the sort of Meyer, Ace, Lacy, some of the guys at the top of last year's draft are probably in that 30 to 40 range. I think Lighter is probably right there, but obviously isn't performing in high AA like those guys are. So I think Lighter is probably around 40 to 50, maybe as high as 35. And then I think depending on which shortstop you prefer, I slightly prefer Lawler, but by draft A, I might slightly prefer Meyer. It's basically a coin flip. I think they're also outside that top 30 to 50. And I think there might be as many as seven guys that are inside a top 100. So, you got this is why this, you know, the top pick isn't decided yet. If you were to take everyone in the draft, throw them into a top 100, they basically start around 40. And then there's like seven guys that might be inside the top 85. So, there's going to be like a 50 uh, slot range in the top 100 of guys with no professional experience that are all pretty similar. And if one of them goes out and pro ball for you know a month or two after getting drafted and just go game busters, one of them could move up 30 spots. So it's like, if you want to talk, and then all of their prices are slightly different. Um, and so then when you put that together, it's like, yeah, you could, you know, you, you could feel real good about one or two of those guys. Like I think the Tigers do. And then basically talk yourself into any of the other ones. And, you know, at three, there may be five legitimate options. And maybe the Tigers have some other guys. They like, I think Josh Job. Probably isn't. Uh, he's a top high school pitcher, a righty out of Oklahoma. Yeah, Jackson, Jackson Joe. Oh, sorry, Jackson, Jackson Joe. My bad. Uh, I believe there's a football player named Josh Joe, is why I mixed him up. Uh, I'm not sure he would be on my top 100, uh, but you could say if he's a million dollars cheaper than everybody else, and we know who we're going to get with the second pick with that extra million dollars, you could talk yourself into him too. And I don't think be wildly wrong. And it sounds like the Tigers really like him and we'll discuss him at that pick. And I think most teams wouldn't but the Tigers are the sort of team that would and it sounds like there's some some smoke and or fire uh, at at sort of that rumor as well. So it's still it's still pretty cloudy at this point even though we're uh, only what about a month out.
3: So it sounds like that there's a chance that if they were to go with someone like a Jackson Joe for example and then they'd be able to swing back with their competitive balance pick at the end of round one. Then you're talking about the possibility of being able to allocate that and get a couple of top
1: 100 prospects. That's the benefits of going under slot, obviously. Yeah, I don't know if they could actually get one of those top seven or eight guys to their second pick. They could definitely get a mid-first-round talent who would be, I think, one of those dingler type. Like, hey, if he has a really good two months, then he could get on. Uh, and I think this, like, this, if you're talking college hitter, probably can't move them down the board. So you'd be saying – uh, ideally a high school guy. So if you maybe undercut the first pick with Job and then put that money into another high school player uh, that, you know, similar to Parker Meadows or, um, or Dingler or, uh, you know, that sort of guy that has the chance to move up. And you could say maybe a year after the draft, you'd have two top 100 guys. Out of those first two picks, yeah, that would, I think that would be sort of be the question, and that sort of depends on how strongly you feel about the first guy because you got to get that done first. You don't sort of skimp on the first pick, hoping maybe you'll get a guy you like with the second pick. Like that'd be a wild way to logic it out, and I, I'm not sure that's what Baltimore did last year. But in retrospect, that kind of seems like what they did, where they, they they cut pretty well under with their first pick at two overall, and then all the savings got spent in the fourth and fifth round after those players had been picked over. And I think what happened is they had a guy picked out, and he got picked ahead of them. And so the primary plan got blown up, and so then they waited and spent that money later because they gave those guys a big enough offer to wait until later picks and then spent the higher ones on college guys. It's a sort of convoluted way to explain that sometimes best-laid plans don't always work out, which is why if you, if you do something like undercut at number three overall, you could have two or three options you like at that second pick because I don't love the idea of undercutting in the top five and then waiting six rounds to spend your money after everyone's already decided those aren't their guys for whatever reason. That That doesn't seem like the right way to do it.
3: Kylie, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Really interesting stuff. You know, the draft is not too far away, but right now with the way the prospects have been performing, it's really interesting just to see how that angle can mesh with what the Tigers have in front of them coming up in July. So nobody helps us navigate that better than you. So Kylie McDaniel from ESPN, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. And nobody helps to confuse me with mock drafts more than Al Avla being spotted at like seven different places this spring. It's just like, is this a head fake? Did he really want to be there? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Kylan McDaniel here on the road to Detroit.
3: Now it's time for the road ahead. The Lakeland Flying Tigers, they take off to Fort Myers. Are they actually flying? Are the Tigers flying to Fort Myers? Probably not for a six-game stretch against the Mighty Muscles. Meanwhile, West Michigan's on the road as well. The Whitecaps hit the road for a six-game set against the team that they swept at home in the Lake County Captains. That was a six-game series sweep, the first time in High A Central history that anyone had pulled off a six-game sweep under this new look to the schedule. As for Double-A Erie, heads up, Seawolves fans. You've got a chance to see something special. We kind of got a little spoiled in West Michigan with this, but you've got a chance to see Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, and Dylan Dingler on a nightly basis as the Seawolves face off against the Altoona Curve in a six-game home series. Last but not least, A Toledo, they traveled to Columbus for a six-game series against the Columbus Clippers. That's a look at the road ahead. As we continue along here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt, just know how much it means to us to be able to bring this show to you week in and week out. This is one of those passion projects and one of the things that, you know, when I was young, I wanted a show like this. I wanted a chance to hear from these young guys on the come up. I remember following Justin Verlander. I remember following Joel Zumaya. I remember hearing about these kids who were throwing flames in West Michigan and Lakeland and saying, man, I I wish I had a chance to get to know these guys before they got up to the big leagues. And there are some stories. And the best part is is that we get a chance to tell you these stories. And the only thing that we will ask you to do in return turn is to hit the subscribe button if you hit that button it shows us that you like the job we're doing and you like learning about these guys this is what we want to do for you this is the one thing that you can do for us so hit the subscribe button also leave a five-star review only for nate wangler that's my preference (laughs) well that's going to do it for this episode of the road to detroit podcast our thanks to daniel cabrera and to kylie mcdaniel for spending some time here on episode two coming up next week we're going to celebrate father's day Some very famous fathers through the Tigers' system, and their sons are currently playing within the Tigers' system. Maybe we'll hear from a few as we come back for Episode 3 next week. For our producer, Nate Wangler, my name is Dan Hasty. Thanks to everybody who makes this podcast go. We'll talk to you next week. But until then, see ya!
0: no one's been part of more first days of work than carhartt and in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect carhartt never stops earning the respect of hard-working people like you from building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future trust your car to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.